General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Good evening and welcome to episode 16. Tonight's a bit of a grab bag. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the new kit that we've seen out there, some of the pre-orders that are available on a variety of websites. We'll, of course, talk a little bit more about Airstrike. And as we're digging through the information that the Warlord team has given us, Brett and I are going to talk through some of this and let you know what we've seen, what we think may still be missing, or some of the questions you may still have. Hey, Brett, good to talk to you again. Hey, brother. How are you? Doing good. So I know we've been spending a lot of time uh, with our real jobs, but when we're not earning a paycheck that actually puts food on the table, uh, I know I've been trying to dig through the airstrike rules and catch up on some things that I missed and take a look at this sample information that we've been given, which we know isn't, isn't quite what we're going to see in the final version. Uh, but have you had a chance to look at a few more things and maybe uh, come up with some more questions? No, I um, was listening to our last podcast where we came back and talked a bit about some of the things that were left unanswered until we got a little more information. And uh, it didn't prompt any new questions for me, but I was just thinking again about how much I can't wait to get my hands on it because it looks like it's going to be pretty fun. I'm kind of interested to see how um, the target cards are going to work, what they're going to look like, and uh, how we're going to you know, actually use those in the game. I like your ideas about the target markers, too, and how maybe we can come up with some cool things there. Absolutely. It's, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how the game changes and how the way people play uh, Blood Red Skies changes with the addition of some of the airstrike elements. Let's talk about a couple of the cool things that are out there. A few of the retailers have started putting the airstrike rule set out there on a pre-order, which is awesome. <laughs> so if you are wanting to go ahead and... Uh, Throw your hat in the ring. Uh, I know Game Castle has it out there. I haven't looked to see if Miniature Market or anyone else does, but Game Castle has a pre-order out there for uh, $25.60 US that you can pre-order. I know a couple people have already done that. Uh, So hopefully over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to see a couple of these uh, different pre-orders show up out there. Uh, And of course, we expect it real soon to show up pre-order on the Warlord website as well. Who knows which one will get to you first? Uh, To be perfectly honest, and and no fanboy uh, on either side here. I think we saw some people got their releases of the last series of uh, MIG Alley uh, updates. Some people got it really quick from Warlord. Some people it took longer than expected. So buyer beware is all I'll say. Buy from your favorite online retailer or from Warlord, but realize that uh, that stuff ships in batches, and you may not they may not have enough to satisfy all the initial pre-orders. Uh, but I know I'm going to be pre-ordering one, even though we've got some pretty good information. I'm going to want to have a, a, a fresh hard copy in my hand uh, to really be able to use as a reference. What about you, Brett? Do you think you're going to buy one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty much suckers. In, in case in case uh, John Russell, the pusher, hasn't already uh, broken us down, yeah, we're probably buying a copy. So uh, it's going to be good to get to take a look at that. We're going to skip talking about some of the new aircraft releases. Uh, we're going to wait for... Uh, Chris to come back on and talk about the Russians and some of the aircraft coming out in the Warlord resin. I'm really excited to see how that's going to turn out. I know I'm kind of uh, sitting there with uh, bated breath waiting to see 
uh, get my hands on it. But, you know, Chris is our resin evaluator. So Chris will let us know what he thinks of those. And we'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks or so. But there's a lot of other aircraft that are coming out. And it looks like a lot of the, uh, the lines are starting to change over so that these, these new lines will feature uh, Warlord resin. I'm kind of curious about some of the games like uh, Judge Dredd, how much that's going to come out in Warlord resin versus metal. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid it might have gone gone to press a little bit before Warlord Resin was uh, was ready. So I may find myself with uh, some metal uh, Judge Dread miniatures out there <laughs> later right. on in the year. I'm excited about the uh, the resin models coming out. I'm working on some metal Stukas right now, and I was a little reticent to to order them because you know knowing that I could go somewhere else and get resin. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I haven't done any. Um, metal models very recently and i thought this would be a good opportunity to flex those muscles and maybe uh, you know be in a position where i can answer questions for those who are maybe dealing with them and uh you know i've already learned a lot just from the little bit i've done on them because you know with the the warlord game metal stukas you have to glue the landing gear on and right. uh, that comes with its own special challenges but no big deal it's cer- <laughs> certainly it's not insurmountable i'm actually very satisfied with oh you're so much happier so about far. it now than than you were when you were working your way through it Th- those were not your words <laughs> as uh, you yeah, were fighting a, through getting the landing gear on a little bit of trial and error i had you know first attempts were not very successful i had to come back at it again in another approach so we're getting there okay good 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 to hear that well there's a lot of other things that are out there that we've kind of taken a survey of and, uh, normally what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of give you our opinions on what's out there. Some of these topics, uh, there's a thousand different options. These are just the brands or the individual companies that we've tried. Um, some of them are very specific. So we'll, we'll talk about some very specific paints here that we've been experimenting with. Um, but there's also a lot of acrylic add-ons, uh, card sleeve add-ons, uh, magnet add-ons for if you want to change how your uh, advantage state bases work. Uh, but I think the ones that I just got in my hands today that I was actually surprised showed up uh, before I was getting ready to leave on my trip uh, were a bunch of the ruler kits from Just Lasered. And I know I sent you a couple photos of those, Brett. Hopefully that uh, that at least excited you to get something new. <laughs> yeah, those look nice. They look like they'll, uh, the shape of them looks like they, you'd be able to wiggle them in between crowds of aircraft without too much trouble. Yeah, you know, that, that's the thing. For those of us with fat fingers and then we tried the, the uh, using a, a measuring tape for a while, and and that kept sticking to our magnets. Uh, so I think this these will be a pleasant change. Ordered a bunch of those to in a couple different colors, and you know haven't played with them yet. They look really nice. They seem uh, really sturdy, uh, and we'll see how well they they work out. But I also got a bunch of their uh, starter kit foam pre cut foam, and it looks great. So man, really- that stuff looks so choice. I've been seeing folks post up on Ready Room their their uh, sets they've gotten from them. I didn't realize it was from the same outfit, but those look so nice. It, it is, and and I will be honest. So for the price that it cost to get it shipped over here, it was far more cost effective uh, than stuff from Battle Foam. Now I, I swear by Battle Foam's cases. I love those guys. Um, it, it fits the cases I have, and this this was specifically designed just to fit the uh, box set and it and it doesn't totally fit it perfectly it it the box top pump you know pops up just a little bit uh but either way it's a way to put all your bases a bunch of aircraft and and the guys out there at uh, just lasers were awesome because they customized it so one of them has me109s and uh, mustangs in it another one has spitfires and zeros in it so they they you know they they did you know whatever i wanted uh and it didn't uh, dramatically increase the price of it so 
Um, I think I'm going to probably try a couple of their other ones that they have that are that fit into you know preformed plastic boxes, and maybe that's my new uh, miniatures carrying cases. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I was going to ask you. So they're not they're not designed necessarily to fit into a certain case that's out there on the market. You just um... no, they're <laughs> not. So they're designed to fit certain kinds of uh, of plastic hard cases is is how I'll refer to them. And, and they're fairly standard sizes that are available both in the UK and in the US. Um, okay, so that'll work. I, I, I just have to go back and take a look at which ones I have to fit the the foam they already they have designed out um, and just talk to them about, you know, how I can make those work. And then to be honest, you know, the prices were great. The shipping was great. It was fast for being just uh, ground shipping from the uh, the UK. So I was I was really happy with it overall. Tell me more about those measuring things. You sent me a picture, and besides being, uh, I guess, color-coded for your faction, it looked like they had an unusual shape. So maybe you could measure from the side of the advantage bases instead of from exactly. the front. Exactly. So, so there's a marker on the first one that says base. And so that helps you realize that's what you put up against the base. And then they, they have the full uh, distance uh, template on the side. Um, once again, for jets, nobody's making 13 and 14-inch ver- variants of these because uh, that's uh, kind of a niche market uh but <laughs> the the fact is um this would work for for 90 percent of the stuff you're going to do and if you're going to fly jets well you just move them twice but uh they, they look really nice so I'm, I'm excited to try them cool some of the other things we tried i know uh, we talked about different aircraft uh, cards and sleeves as we've started to put some wear and tear on our, our blood red skies gear um i was kind of lazy i went straight out to amazon and looked up a couple different uh, types of cards for the uh, for the aircraft card, I came across two different uh, really nice ones out there. One's from Pro Support and Titan Shield. And what I'll tell you is the Titan Shield cards are the ones I'm going to use um, simply because they have a, a matte backing on one side. So it's glossy on one, matte on the other, and it allowed me to, um, to, to kind of have some tactile feel to it so the cards don't all kind of slide together. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's ten bucks for about one hundred and fifty of them, or about five dollars for the pro support cards for two hundred. So it's what do you need? Do you just need something to to hold your cards? I don't know. You guys, you and uh, Chris are both using uh, baseball baseball card holders, right? I got some uh, some BCW top load card holders, and um, they're for my aircraft cards, and they're rigid. They're I, I kind of like the fact that they're. They're kind of stiff. They're still clear plastic and all that, but they they have some rigidity to them. So I think it'll make them, you know, the cards aren't likely to bend and stuff when I throw them in my box with stuff. Right. Uh, I was, right. Yeah, I the was only reason I don't like those is they don't they just don't fit the small box that I have all my aircraft cards in. <laughs> They're just slightly yeah. too large in one of the dimensions. So that's all right. Yeah, they they do have a little bit of a margin around the card itself, but I just toss mine in my uh, starter box in a drawer in my playroom, my game room. Uh, I did, I was hoping I could find some rigid cards like that for the air traffic trait cards and doctrine cards and so forth, but um, I wasn't able to find anything uh, that matched the rigid uh, larger cards, the three by four cards. But uh, I did, you know, just find some clear um, European style game cards. I don't remember what brand they were, but there's so many to choose from. I think they're typically called European game or uh, European right. board game style cards, and That's you get a. Yeah, you get a huge pack of them, and they're perfect for protecting, you know, your stack of air tra- aircraft trait cards, ace cards, any of those other smaller cards that you have in your action deck. Yeah, that that was kind of the funny part is I'm going to spend more money on those by the time I'm done because 
Uh, I bought kind of some of the nicer ones from Fantasy Flight that are about uh, you know fifty or hundred of them for nine bucks. So after a while, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn through a bunch of those with all the trait cards and ace cards, etc. Right. <laughs> so it's all right. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the uh, the other cool add-ons we've seen. We talked a little bit about the MIG Alley mat now. Have you got your uh, MIG Alley mat from Deep Cut Studios yet? I have not ordered a mat. I am holding off on some purchases. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, uh, defer some major purchases till I get uh, some of this stuff that I have on the hobby table done so that I can make one big purchase. And I think among those things are going to be the mats for Korea and for Malta. Okay. But, well, uh, we'll I do Chris like that mat. Cause I know Chris uh, has picked up the uh, MIG alley mat and he was pretty impressed with it. So we'll talk to him next week and uh, get his uh, feelings about that. That's cool. Um, I didn't know he got it already. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was impressed with once again, how quickly uh, everything shipped uh, and how easy it was to, to put it in order and get exactly what you wanted. So I know you had a couple of paints you wanted to talk about. You said the Hataka line, you really want to talk about their blue line and their orange line. What's the difference between the two? Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. I was using the uh, the Air Warp series paints from Vallejo. Those, um, you know, they have those whole box sets for different uh, eras and different air forces. And they're great. I love the colors, but uh, I was brush painting with them and I was kind of, I just found it tedious. It's not that it can't be done, but it was a little cumbersome, you know, getting multiple layers on just to get the, especially for splinter pattern camo on my Luftwaffe planes. Uh, I was just doing it over and over and over again to get those colors built up. So I thought, you know, there's probably, let me, let me try some other things out there. And I came across the uh, Hataka line. They have the blue line and the orange line. They're two separate lines for uh, the blue line is, formulated specifically for brush work the orange line is their airbrush line so you know the air the orange line is pretty thin for airbrush much like the vallejo uh box sets they're they're pretty thin because i think they're primarily right, for, for their model airbrush. air that's uh, that's designed for the airbrush versus just the model color designed uh, for brushing yeah. on that's right that's right and uh, so I, I i grabbed um several of the colors i wanted for my uh, early war luftwaffe stuff from hataka and i liked them uh, i did my let's see I did a batch of BF109s for Malta, and I did a couple of, um, what else did I do? I, oh, I did a couple of uh, AT111s with the Hitaka line, and uh, I really liked them. Uh, I actually uh, airbrushed the base coats with uh, in, with uh, another line, I guess, and then all my brushwork on top of the lighter colors. I use the Hataka stuff, and it was nice. They come in little dropper bottles, uh, you know, pretty typical, like your Vallejo Air bottles, that very right. similar look. But, uh, you know, it's just formulated for for uh, brushwork, so it's it's not super thin. So, you know, a couple of, couple of coats, a couple of thin coats gets you right where you need to be. I did notice a little variance from brand to brand you know uh let's say uh maybe rlm 71 dark green between vallejo and between hataka you'll see some little differences not that i think it really matters that much i don't even think you could notice uh, especially if you do an entire you know squadron in the same tone 
and they're not mixed around, I don't think you would notice at all. But I did notice there was a slight difference in in the colors, even though they, you know, the the number and the and the title on the bottle is the same from brand to brand. It's still a little, you know, a little vari- variation from brand to brand. But I was pretty happy with just how it applied with the brush. So if you're out there looking for something to use with a brush for these models, I mean, I, I could. I could recommend the Hataka blue line as being, uh, you know, really worthwhile. And what's kind of neat is besides the individual paint colors, you can buy whole sets, just like uh, the Vallejo air war sets. Hataka also has uh, box sets for, uh, for different, uh, different air forces and different timeframes. In fact, I was um, looking on their website. They very recently released a new orange line set for Africa, for the Luftwaffe. That's a, a new line. Uh, I personally use the early war Luftwaffe set from them and I use the blue line, but they, um, they're always coming out with new stuff, I guess. And it's kind of amazing. I first found out about them almost by accident as I was looking for colors to, um, to do my dust models in. Right. And I kept, I stumbled across some color panels that came from them and, uh, found box sets and i mean they have stuff for all kinds of air forces right up to the modern era whole box sets for them so pretty pretty cool yeah I've, I've heard of their stuff i've just never used it so i, I may have to go check that out not that i need any more paints but uh. <laughs> <laughs> i also grabbed some ammo by mig acrylic color yeah you I, said I that was that was different in the way that it was bottled uh, than than what you're used to yeah um you know i've used ammo by mig for a lot of their weathering stuff and panel line uh, stuff, but that's all, you know, that's not acrylic. That's, that's all, um, you know, a little more toxic, but, uh, they make acrylic paint lines as well, including, uh, color sets for different air forces and different eras. And I just grabbed a single color. I grabbed their, uh, RLM 71, the dark green, just to try it out. And I was really pretty impressed. It's, it's, uh, on the bottle, it says it's, um, for brush and airbrush so you know maybe it's a little thinner than the hataka blue line but the bottles are nice little dropper bottles it comes with it's at with an agitator right in the bottle so pretty convenient and i liked it i um i've already used the um the mig colored uh brushed on and and, and i thought it worked out pretty good i think if i was using cool. an airbrush I'd, I'd thin it a little bit but it's uh really useful i think i'll probably pick up some of their colors especially as, as we get into like some late war hobby i'll probably pick up one of their color sets for that yeah well well that kind of leads us into uh those who have been sitting on the uh blood red skies ready room may have seen some of your uh north africa paint schemes and uh, malta paint schemes start dropping out there uh tell me about these he111s and the bf110s that you've been working on well uh i have a habit of uh trying to you know, build for a campaign, if you will, like, you know, I'll, I'll paint the aircraft to uh, match whatever campaign we are, you know, building up for. And since we're working on a, a Malta campaign to really showcase airstrike, I uh, thought, well, let me get into this. So as I start researching <laughs> Wait, stuff, I find all stuff to buy and paint more airplanes. <laughs> That's right. I've already got plenty of one Oh nine. So why not make more? Cause you know, I can't, you know, I just, we always need more. <laughs> That's right. I can't, can't bring myself to put, you know, early war uh or battle of britain 109s in in malta 
I, I have so. certainly no problem with that. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Call me lazy. So, yeah, that's me. That's the OCD kicking in. But another thing I kind of tend to like to do is, especially if there's an ace in the unit, is I, you know, I'll read up about the unit, find out kind of who was there and when. If there's any notable aircraft in that in that air in that period, I, I try to model them up. So you'll see if you really look hard in my squadrons, you'll see some kind of standouts and it's because, you know, not always, well, good example, my one tens that I did for Malta, uh, one of the unit, one of the prominent units there, at least early in the campaign, they really kind of look most of the aircraft in the Malta for the Luftwaffe really look like they just came from France. Cause guess what? They did. So they had the same paint schemes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but, um, they, uh, they hung around for a while or maybe moved over to Libya and stuff and adopted, you know, more desert like color schemes. So uh, I took a little Liberty. Uh, I did uh, paint some one tens in a uh, scheme that really reflects kind of how they looked in 42 when they were flying out of Libya and set out of Sicily. And then uh, some of the noteworthy aces that were in that unit, I painted specifically, but they did, you know, they the aircraft you really just so i can stand them apart from the rest of the squadron one of right. them i i painted up it's got uh the markings he had for when they uh flew in yugoslavia and another one uh for uh an aircraft that flew out of libya but it they stand apart visually from the rest of the you know b- basic aircraft i guess if you want to call them that right uh, i still got some work to do it, it, for the 110 specifically i'll have a mix for it just because it's a fun thing for me i crazy you know it's like i, I want to paint them uh, i've got some that look they have that sort of maybe recognizable desert sort of pattern if you will that tropical right look to them but then uh, i'm going to do a couple that look like they did uh coming uh you know making that transition from france into uh, the mediterranean and uh yeah it's kind of neat you know as i see how the colors change i've kind of i'm kind of intrigued by the color patterns and choices that they use i found some color panels for some 110s that almost have like that night fighter look sort of the grays and the (laughs) blues and stuff that you don't see necessarily in in um western europe and you don't see really anywhere else in the mediterranean but they only lasted for a short period but i'm gonna do a couple like that too That'll be neat. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have the, uh, the time uh, to devote to, to that. I'm lucky just to be able to get my new terrain in for airstrike and at least lay it on the table. I haven't even had much of a chance to assemble it or to prime it. That was going to be my goal before uh, leaving town. Um, but I think I'll probably have to wait till I get back uh, from my business trip to, to get around to fool with that. But I'll tell you, that Pico Armor terrain, I got a chance to really look at it in detail today. I know I sent you and Chris some photos, but uh, it's cool to just have, you know, British hangars, British Quonset huts, you know, uh, little admin buildings and things like that that you can now throw on the board uh, to represent uh, the, those ground targets in uh, blood red skies. Those look really cool. And I'm hoping we can find something similar in scale that represents maybe some of the uh, surface targets like uh, some ships. I'd really love to get an aircraft carrier, maybe some submarines. Yeah, so I noticed that a couple people on uh, the ready room had had done a couple different ships. I know one of the guys brought out one of the 1 to 1800 scale ships, so it was <laughs> extremely small, um, but it made it real easy for the aircraft to all maneuver around and not not have a problem uh, running into uh, into each other trying to get in the target area. Um, one correction from what uh, from what I 
I briefed with all the the Pico scale uh, armor um, because they're two millimeter scale buildings. I know we said they were one to twelve hundred. Uh, they say that they're actually one to nine hundred. So I bet on me for that one. <laughs> Little did I know I wasn't able to do basic math. Um, but uh, there's still a lot of options out there. I've, I know I looked at some uh, one two eighty fifth, one three hundred scale stuff, and it still was just uh, was just not quite right. I guess is the best way I, I can describe it. <laughs> too big, right? What's that? It's just too yeah, big. Yeah, right? it was too big. It was. It just it, you know the some of the things looked fine, like some of the the fuel tanks and stuff looked okay. Um, but when you got to the hangers, now all of a sudden they were you know about uh, an inch and a half. Um, it, it just, it, it wasn't, wasn't really what you wanted for, for being able to, um, put a number of buildings out there and not clobber the map with it. That Pico armor stuff, are you finding rolling stock, like tanks and trucks and stuff that you can make convoys oh, with? Oh yeah. So I've already picked up, uh, some trains. Um, I think, and I, I saw two millimeter vehicles somewhere, uh, not from Pico armor itself when it came to armored vehicles. I think they haven't been like one. Uh, one six hundredth in the three millimeter scale, um, but uh, there there are some small scale vehicles out there. Let me actually look while we're talking about it. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure Pico Armor's smallest scale vehicle is the uh, is the three mil ones because um, this two mil stuff is just tiny. But <laughs> that'd be really <laughs> small for rolling stock, I would guess. I mean, yeah, a, so, a big so bridge or something, there. no problem. Yeah, but yeah, they've got. Uh, and I was just looking at modern miniatures, but you go to. Uh, uh, if you go to their World War II section, they have a number of uh, three millimeter tanks and trucks and things like that. But to be honest, I mean, these things are tiny. Um, so I will probably, sure, if I, if I buy a couple of them, I'll just glue them to a piece of acrylic like we talked about and, and uh, make a convoy, the, right? Yeah, you know, make, con- make my own convoy out there. Um, and, you know, if you want to be really, really nerdy and detailed about it, maybe you'll buy some flak wagons and you. You can metal uh, or you can magnetize those in there. The only reason I would not opt for their flak guns is, holy crap, are they tiny? So, <laughs> oh. so, so here's here's a compromise. Uh, you look at the Litco ones, the Litco uh, acrylic flak uh, indicators. Their their flak cannon indicators are about a centimeter to centimeter and a half big. Um, looking at some of these cannons. Holy crap, are they tiny? So I was just looking at uh, like a 3.7 centimeter light flat cannon. I have no idea how tiny this thing is. Let's see if it tells me. Uh, nope, it doesn't tell me. I mean, it's 15 of them for $4.25. So that should give you an idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were asking if, the, if I had had any thoughts since our last discussion on it. And after reading more on it, that is something I thought of. Uh, and, um, you know, we were talking about target markers and all that and maybe how to how you work out the flak, whether you have, you know, target market that re- represents flak that you take on and off, you know, take off the target as right. it takes damage point hits or whatever. Uh, maybe working that like uh, with chits, like the boom chits just in reverse might be yeah. a more practical way to do that. Cause you know, if those things are so tiny, just have a, just have cool targets that you ha- have chits on and you remove the chits as they take point Absolutely. hits. Much and the way we add chits some to of those. I, th- I think they've got um, flat cannon chits rather than the, the little blocks. But yeah, you're right. Just something as easy as and simple as that. So it's like the boom chip mechanic. You can just pull them off uh, as they get destroyed. There's a lot of stuff out there. I was surprised. You've really uh, found a lot in 
you say you don't have a lot of time, but you must be spending some time digging around on this on the internet in this rabbit hole because uh, you were showing me some stuff just on Litco, all the stuff they have. And it's, <laughs> there it must be a lot that, of games that, that have similar mechanics. Sitting at the bar waiting for my beer to be delivered and having to have something to do when I'm on travel. Me and my but, buddy sitting there looking at each other, not wanting to talk about work. So that's hey, when I have time well, to search. Well, it's funny because uh, Airstrike hasn't even dropped and yet there's things out there that certainly could apply. I mean, you know, might, might have some relevance. You know, they, we're talking about these chits and markers and stuff. Uh, a lot of that stuff might port right over. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of things that will, to be honest. Um, and once again, it's really up to your creativity. I mean, it's it's whatever people want to do in the game, how complex they want to make it. Uh, if you want to make it real simple and just, uh, you know, put a put a colored marker out there, then, hey, that's fine, too. Nobody's going to judge you for not having <laughs> Pico Armor scale uh, targets out there. But by the same token, uh, it looks like, at least for the naval side, some people have already gone to some some pretty cool links to uh, to put you know one twelve hundredth one sixteen hundred scale ships out there. Which oh my god, that's that's got to be a pain to paint. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, well, you know, I think it'd be cool to have something different to represent you know barrages and stuff, and you know, just because it'll stand apart from the boom chits and stuff. And you were talking about splash markers for those special mechanics. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, there's so many cool things you can do. How much time and uh, how much effort do you want to put to acquiring stuff rather than playing? Uh, I probably need to spend more time playing rather than looking on the Internet. <laughs> but since I'm not carrying uh, not carrying a uh, an air army with me everywhere I go on travel, uh, I haven't been able to do that. What's that? You, you had a you had a term you said something about. Uh, I don't know what it was. It was funny. Uh I'm like, not going to uh, volunteer any of my information ga- on terms that I use to describe gadget, those of us that would buy Gadget nerd or stuff. something. I don't know what it was. Yeah, we just won't use any of those terms. I'll just keep those okay. terms to myself. For those all right, of us right. who are like addiction, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Airstrike itself. There's you know some really interesting discussions that have been online as uh, the rules get closer and as people get more and more previews of what might be in the rules. Uh, and it's really funny to watch people jump to conclusions or um you know as we've talked about a number of times some gamers uh, we're not content with just taking the rules as is as soon as a game designer leaves out our favorite weapon system our favorite airplane our favorite ace uh, we immediately are our home uh, ruling things creating uh ways to 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 do those kind of things but there still have been a couple questions that i i think i want to kind of reconfirm that haven't been answered um and there's some things that have been revised that I think are, are neat changes. Uh, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about bombers and multi-engine fighters, and we really alluded to this uh, and talked about it in passing. Uh, but at least in this version of Airstrike that I've seen, uh, they do a great job and come out and say, you know what, multi-engine fighters, if you want, just shoot them as single engine with two boom chits. And suddenly that opens a, a, whole, uh, a whole series of cool new things you can do. Um, I think we may have to try that because I know my experience flying the multi-engine fighters, it just didn't feel right. I don't know how you describe it, Brad. It just did. It was a little strange. You know, maybe I'm just expecting too much out of the BF-110, but it was a little disappointing. Certainly, I could see how um, your Mossies, you would want to have probably do a little more. Well, and I I think it's worded best, at least uh, the way we saw it, where it's, you know, anything with Agile, 
uh, just treat it like it's a single engine fighter and it gets single engine fire with two boom chits. So you don't get shot down the first time you fail to dodge. Uh, you, you acquire two boom chits and then you're shot down. And it, it really gives you the ability to still climb when you're damaged. So you can still climb for advantage. Um, there's, there's a lot, you know, you don't have to worry about being able to be shot regardless of your advantage level and your opponent. So you can be a single engine fighter if you're, or multi engine fighter playing as a single engine. And now there is used to being advantaged because no one else can shoot you while you're advantaged. Uh, so it, there's a, a lot of, a, a lot of really interesting, uh, trait play out if you do that. So I think it's something we may have to take a look at. Um, I, I want to, I, th- I want to try that out and see how it feels. I think specifically for things like the P 38 aircraft that really filled a fighter role, not necessarily just a ground attack with a secondary fighter role. I, I think that will be. Uh, will be good. But that kind of leads us into some of this question of aircraft traits, uh, because looking through the the sample rules uh, that I saw, I couldn't find anything to answer our question about um, does heavy hitter have to apply in air to ground and does buzzsaw have to apply? Uh, and I, I kind of remain unconvinced that that those aircraft that were given heavy hitter necessarily should have it for air to ground. What I will say is some of them absolutely should when you look at some of the ground attack, the specific, the Typhoon, the Tempest, some of those that are given heavy hitter, they they really need to have an equivalent in the air to ground section. But a, a really good discussion came up from Jonathan Dale on the radio room. Did you see that whole discussion on ground attack cannons? Uh, yes, I did see uh, briefly. Uh, you're probably more well read on it read in on it as I, than I am, but I did see that there was some discussion going on about that. Yes. So I, I participated in the discussion a little bit. Um, I, I had to go back and, and really reread everyone's post today, uh, getting ready to talk about it. Uh, and, and while I do agree with Ken Nat's post at the end, hey guys, how about we all wait for the final rules, the final version of the rules to drop? <laughs> sure. That's, I, I, I think that's a valid thing. Let's, let's see how it plays out. But I think Jonathan brought up some of the issues that we all kind of feel with with strafing and with strafing ordinance and how maybe this is one of those points where we've we've too narrowed the field uh to to fit it into a small three firepower world with some bonuses um and i will oversimplify my apologies jonathan Uh, i will oversimplify what he was saying and and say that maybe a trait needs to be added for aircraft with air to ground cannons uh that were a ground attack trait yeah, or something speci- well specifically for the the cannons that were geared towards air to ground use and and the reason he brings it up is because there, there's always an effectiveness argument so um aviators being what they are and i say that as being someone who wore wings for many years of my career uh there's always a misrepresentation of the firepower of cannons, that they really are not as effective in an air-to-ground role as people would like to believe they are. Even the A-10's cannon. <laughs> there, there's a, a lot of things where aircrew think they have destroyed a target, and they may have done a little bit of damage, or they may have uh, influenced the enemy to, to leave the area, um, as there's even some comment in, uh, in some of the after-actions from World War II that the purpose of shooting rockets and uh, and firing some of these larger caliber cannons wasn't necessarily to destroy the target, but was to scare the enemy off so that they would all abandon their vehicles. So I go, that seems like a lot of money to spend for a psychological value. But uh, his his comments have a, you know, a trait like cannon bird or whatever you want to call it. It's a positive trait um, that allows you to specifically negate hardened and armored. 
And so the reason he says that is because he feels strafing is overpowered right now and that hardened and armored block strafing too much. I don't know. I, I, I need to play more games. Uh, what I will say is I think there's probably a smart way to do this uh, and, to, and to add it in. Um, and if you add air-to-ground cannons, you have to recognize that some of them were designed to be tank busters and some of them weren't. So he talks about, well, maybe at some point we add the trait ordnance, which is the air-to-ground equivalent of heavy hitter. Um, because just because you had a big cannon doesn't mean it was employed as a tank buster. Uh, and I'll use the discussion about the PBJ, an aircraft you know, near and dear to my heart as a U.S. Marine. Yeah, it had a 75-millimeter cannon, but... As far as I know from my history, they never used armor-piercing shells. It was for shooting up beach emplacements, shooting up uh, river boats, you know, small light transports. It was <laughs> it was not designed to go out tank hunting with. Uh, After whereas, point targets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whereas you look at some of the other aircraft, especially the Stuka, you get that out there, IL-2. The, those are, regardless of the true effectiveness, designed to be tank busting cannons or at least vehicle busters let me let me at least leave it at that i i will uh i will feel less um uh, uh like I'm, I'm leading people on less if i say they're vehicle busters um because let's also be honest 37 millimeter cannons early on the war might be effective but by mid-war pretty much useless against most vehicles unless it truly was a top attack maybe a rear attack but even then uh you look at you know, mid-war uh, German tanks, and, and they wouldn't have been, it would have just bounced off a 37 or so millimeter, just would not have destroyed the tank. Um, so I think it's a it's an interesting case to be made for being able to use these aircraft and use them for what they're good for, which is shooting up vehicles, maybe not for killing an armored target, you know, so. But I think it's, I think it's a good discussion. Is there any relevance to the, the, uh equipment cards I, I never really had a chance to use those maybe that'll have a bigger play so ken brought that up he said hey you know there's going to be uh a, a equipment card for gun packs out there and and you know hey maybe you guys ought to wait and see how that plays out um the, and equipment cards are i think it's a really useful way to simulate some of these these bolt-on uh capabilities but to me when it's a built-in capability maybe there's excuse me, maybe there's a better way to actually simulate that. Um, and maybe the answer is just give them gun packs the whole time. So certain aircraft always get gun packs. Um, but looking uh, at some of the information that, that I've seen, um, really what it's going to do is it's just going to give you um, extra firepower dice. It's not going to remove other traits. So uh, that, that gets back to the argument we've had about, you know, do we, do we roll the dice um, or, or do do you use the number of dice as your balance or do you use a trait as as the balance? And I know we had a really long discussion uh, last Friday at the Pentagon about just that mechanic and the 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 math hammer involved in taking dice and giving dice. <laughs> and then it, it may not always even out, you know, add two dice for strafing ordinance um, and then take away one or two dice for. Uh, for armored uh, targets, uh, does it does it necessarily balance it out? Not unless you're shooting a specific kind of target. So that's kind of sometimes a little difficult to, to script. I think I don't know. You know, what are you, what are your thoughts on on the the ability of like hardened targets and armored targets to take dice away from the the strafing attacks? 
I, I just, I feel like I just got to try it out and see. Um, I'm, I would presume we've been given, you know, what's written based on some actual table time. So, you know, maybe these things have been, you know, considered over the course of several games where that kind of stuff's been tried out and, and modified to uh, come up with a, a reasonable solution. So I, th- I think once we try it out, you know, we'll have a better sense. Right. And, and I think the thing people have to remember is that there are different traits for, for different reasons um, because armored is really geared against strafing. Hardened is, is geared against bombing. And likewise, not every armored target is hardened and not every hard target is armored. So some of them are both. <laughs> how about mobile? How, how, what, what, uh, what effect is mobile going to have? So, so let me, let me throw ships out for a second. Um, because I always, that one always confuses people when I add mobile ships in there. Um, but mobile also takes firepower dice away. Now it doubles the effect. If you're a ship, we can talk about that. You know, that that's an argument about, you know, how hard was it to, to dive bomb a ship or to strafe a ship? Um, but sorry, then, and, and mobile only affects bombing runs, not for strafing. Um, but, but the real question to me about mobile is, um, we get in this really, small small number of die removing and on these ground attacks uh and and, you know if i'm wrong on this please uh please correct me for a for the strafing attack um but it's still firepower plus pilot skill so even your worst pilot is getting two dice out there that he's adding to the firepower of his airplane so you know baseline it'd be three dice um for for your your bottom pilot you you get a a veteran pilot roll in with four dice, not six dice. So you're only pulling one of them for mobile target. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that really affecting the odds? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it's like critical hit removing a dodge die. Some of these targets have multiple factors like that being mobile armored. I'm thinking about things like armored trains and stuff. If I, if I recall, yeah, they so, had so multiple. That's, that's when it gets really cool. So now armored trains, I, which is ironic. So let's, let's take a look at an armored train. <laughs> this is one of those that, um, that's kind of funny in how all the targets work together. So, uh, woe be to the person who goes, I really want to fly against an armored train. Well, that probably falls under the previous aircraft or previous episode's discussion of kissing your sister, but I'll read you the stats anyway. <laughs> so it has only, it only takes two area hits to destroy it. Three point hits, but it is mobile to and armored to. So, so let's step up back and remember, I can't strafe something and kill it. If it's a if it's a ground target, I can strafe and sink ships, but I can't sink. I, I can't kill an armored train just with strafing. So I have to get two bomb hits on it, and it's mobile two, armored two, which means um, I'm going to automatically from all my bombing attacks suffer a minus two, and kind of an even worse penalty is if I'm trying to strafe this thing, which I don't know why I would at this point, but if I am, uh, I'm also losing two strafing dice. Um, so. That's, I think that one's going to be pretty difficult to work in. And maybe the reason you want to strafe it is because you want to take away the light flak dice before the rest of the bombers get there. I don't know. Um, but I think that with an average pilot, it's already putting you down to your firepower. Um, and most of the aircraft in the game average maybe two firepower. Um, and some, of the, some of them, even in a ground attack role, have one firepower die um, just because they had such a low volume of, of, uh, of rounds. Uh, slow, low if i can speak english should have had so much beer tonight uh <laughs> they have such a low uh, rounds per minute 
um, that 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 armored train takes away both of your kind of attacks. I don't know. Can I torpedo it when it crosses a bridge? <laughs> Remind me what happens if you if you roll critical success on a strafing run. Does that just take away two point hit two point target or so two point a, hits? If you're on a strafing run um, and you get a critical success, it's two point hits instead of one. So you don't. You don't. You still have no way to generate area hits. Does it, doesn't bump you up to an area hit, right? If you get so, a critical hit. so if you get a critical when you're bombing, you get an area and a point hit. Okay, so, that's where I was thinking that. Okay. Yeah, so that that's where it just gets a little bit strange. Um, but you know, once again, I think the only reason you would be strafing one of these trains is to get rid of the light flak. So by the time the bombers show up, uh, these these aircraft can get close to the target, employ the weapons, and not be not be just shot out of the sky by three light flak dice, <laughs> but, but mobile two is a, is a huge hit at that low skill level. Now, if you're shooting a truck convoy, it's mobile one. I, I don't think pulling one die is that dramatic when the average number of dice is three, but, but pulling, pulling two dice uh, from an th- average three or average four die roll is a, is a, a bigger deal. Impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, if you, <laughs> if you paid to have a whole bunch of ACE ground attack guys, it's not going to matter because you're rolling like seven dice <laughs> per attack. So, so pulling two dice at that point, yeah, that's that's just not that's not changing the odds. And Rudell's going to have a bomb too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, so so the funny part is adding adding, adding all the strafing ordinance in there makes things even more interesting. But you know, it, where I, where I will say it gets really interesting is as you start looking at some of the ships that are both armored and hardened. Um, you know, it's it's nice when you get up to the level of a battleship. Hey, he's armored too, so strafing you're automatically losing two dice. He's mobile one and hardened one, so you're now losing three dice bombing this guy because he gets two dice for his mobile and he gets a third die for hardened. So um, sinking a battleship with bombs, you're already you know at a three die disadvantage. Definitely something you want to do a torpedo on, <laughs> but that's all right. One more of the clarifications we want to talk about is revisions to the terminology or the trait of laden. And laden is now probably going to become kind of a negative trait. Rather than a description in the rules, there's, there's really kind of a card devoted to it uh, now. And just like some of these other positive aircraft traits, uh, like agile is no longer just a regular aircraft trait, it's going to be treated as a positive. So started looking at some of the information we'd been given about laden, and I, I didn't really catch it when I first paged through i wasn't um i wasn't really paying attention to the core aircraft mechanics that had changed but laden now has an interesting loophole shouldn't say loophole interesting capability that is different than what we're used to and is very similar to how jet works so when you go into the rules and when you look at how these uh multi-engine aircraft work and how the negative trait of laden works Sure, you still are at minus one pilot skill, minus one speed. Um, but now the rule is may not climb for advantage if an enemy is within 18 inches. Okay, so you, so, you don't so, lose that capability altogether. Right, so it's now, it's now really, um, I'll say, number of engines agnostic. <laughs> it's not geared for a two or four engine bomber. It's really geared to how it's going to have to be used with you're carrying strafing ordnance on an F4U. Um, you're carrying, oh, you have single engine bombers that are out there that are still higher performance aircraft, like, a, you know, an A36 uh, might be out there, but still is laden. So 
now you you either ditch your bombs if you need to climb for advantage uh, or if you are outside 18 inches. So I, I think what we'll see for at least some of the single engine laden aircraft or fighter aircraft that are laden, you'll see the game switch to a little bit of this, um, like Jet has this nine inch hold down where you're going to always keep leaving aircraft within, in this case, 18 inches of the bombers. Uh, and the bomber's escort is really going to be trying to push all those enemy fighters outside of 18 inches. So we'll see. Okay. We'll have to see how that plays out. Um, I'm, I'm interested to try it. It's definitely a setup for a, a, a much bigger games, too. I mean, as I'm imagining these scenarios, uh, once you throw in, you know, your bomber stream and then your escorts, I mean, you, you could potentially have some some pretty big games on your hands. I, I think you could. And I think that's the... The good thing is, is as there's a discussion, uh, we'll talk about here in a second based on some of the listener, listener questions. Uh, once again, stop drinking my beer and spend more time podcasting. Um, as we talk about what the listeners wanted to hear, uh, there's, there's some changes and some amplifications to how the game runs that I think are kind of interesting. Um, and so I'll jump right into one of them. You know, they talk about game mat size out there, and, and they really still put out the same answer that, for most of the things you're doing, four by four is right. Maybe four by six if you need to put more aircraft on on one side or, or need more maneuvering. But as we look at at the size of the scenarios, I mean, some of these are twelve aircraft scenarios that they they kind of suggest out there. So I think that'll be interesting. I'm trying to remember. I think our largest was eight v eight. Yeah, and, and we had plenty of room. I felt on a we had a four by six, and we actually had. A lot of extra excess room. I think they're reluctant to tell people just go four by six because not maybe not everybody is. You know, maybe that's a turnoff. Kind of like, like how you know a lot of games are D six based because you know everybody's got a D six in their house. You don't have to go get special dice for that, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, so maybe a four by four is just a little like less barrier to entry, maybe in the people's minds. I, I think it, it, it may be. Four, go, I think go four by six. <laughs> just do that. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my default answer is that you can do jets on four by six. You can do, uh, you know, eight V eight, 12 V 12 aircraft on there. Cause really when, when we say four by six table, people think they, they kind of break it down simply. They're like, Oh, well that's just 50% more room. Well, to me, what it kind of is, is the ability to have separate fights that are evolving that, that everybody isn't involved in or isn't running up the board edge. And, and you know, you've already yeah. heard me pontificate about the board edge and how you play, play to that. On a four by six table, you can have two separate, you know, propeller aircraft turning engagements and people can't pitch from one to the other very quickly. Uh, I know when we played our 8v8, there were elements where it'd take you a turn or two to get over into the other, the other fight to influence it. So I thought that was was pretty useful for separating how the boards would play. Um, but I think the answer is, is everybody go out there and buy yourself a four by six mat. If you can only play on a four by four, that's awesome. Let it drape over the edges. Nobody's going to judge you. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but if you can go out there and use the four by four or four by six mat on a four by four area, I think it'll work. Along with some of the other things we talked about with revisions to the laden rules, um, people have asked, how do you want to denote laden aircraft? Uh, there's always the easy answer of use that uh, bomb-shaped center cutout. Um, but more importantly, to some of the acrylic companies that are out there, uh, they've started creating little bomb icons that you can put on your airplane. I uh, haven't seen any that actually say laden yet, uh, but I'm sure if we asked nicely for Litco or one of those other companies, <laughs> they would generate that uh, so that they'd have that you'd have a way to to denote the laden aircraft. 
It's already so much like something they already have, right? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, there, I like I said, I've seen bomb icons. I haven't seen a specific uh, laden icon, you know. But but who knows? Um, there's probably somebody out there who produces it. Or if just Lasered is listening in, uh, then maybe they're going to decide that they want to do that <laughs> for for the uh, um, for their acrylic tokens that they're offering. So I think we they take seem a look very at that. dialed in to the whole Blood Red Skies community. So yeah, I think they that. are, and I, I know Ken's worked with them a lot to fill out his uh, his aircraft uh, containers. So I think the guys at uh, at Just Lasered probably are, are really really interested in helping out the Blood Red Skies community. Well, did you have any other things you wanted to talk about? Any other issues that we'd come up with? Other things you'd seen in passing in the Blood Red Skies Ready Room? Well, uh, we had talked in the past about some Flory model stuff. And, and, and you were asking me about some of the aircraft I just painted. Since I was doing that desert color on uh, those 110s, I opted to use a different color Flory model wash. We'd use the black on a lot of the other models we had done. I used the dark dirt wash. On yeah, the, tell uh, me how the dark dirt wash works because I know you weren't exactly happy with some of the other uh, colors how they how they shook out. Yeah, I I think I used the dark dirt wash for the first time on my MIGs, and it just it just wasn't dark enough, so I went back to black on those. But it was perfect for the um, for the desert color on the one tenths. I think well, black good. black would have worked, but I think uh, the dark dirt was just dark dark enough. So if I had to say, dark dirt's kind of like a you could use it for so many different things, whether it's weathering or like panel lining, like we're doing. Uh, but um, the dark dirt is probably most appropriate for your lighter colors. If you've got darker colors, uh, the black is where you want to go. I know the silver is not a darker color on the MIGs, but the black just looked better. And maybe, maybe because the dark dirt was just kind of grungy looking. And I was trying to get a clean, right. shiny appearance on those MIGs. So the black, you know, is better for that. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was, I think with the silvers, the, the black contrast really works well because it doesn't get lost in the silver skin. Cause I, I know when I used uh, some of the Vallejo Mecca uh, staining stuff, and if I didn't use something that was really black, you'd step back from the model and you wouldn't see it. You know, you might have a very brown or, or yellow highlight in there. It wasn't, um, wasn't giving you what you needed. I, at least I thought. That dark dirt's perfect for any of the desert schemes, any of your, like your zeros that, that have that almond color. I mean, that uh, right. pistachio color. Uh, so I was really happy with it. It's just so easy to use. I mean, cool. we've talked about it in previous episodes, but that dark, that uh, Flory model wash stuff is, is super fast and easy. It's, it's a really and good where trick. Where are you guys uh, ordering that from? Um, high altitude hobbies. I think they're based out of Colorado. I think we we have the link on the um, on our Facebook page for them from a previous episode. But right, we got the. Uh, it's kind of nice. I, I've high altitude hobbies dot com. Easy to find. Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've only made small orders. You know, a couple bottles of wash here, some sanding sticks there, but. I get a hand a handwritten little note on the business card from the owner saying, "Hey, thanks for ordering from us." And it's kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, if you if you go to straight to High Altitude Hobbies, you can they've got a whole section for Flory Models products, uh, everything from sanding sponges to sanding sticks to all the different washes, uh, and so you should be able to find that. I I still have been bad and haven't tried any of this. Um, I will get to that. <laughs> Just try. Let, let me let me, let me tell you. I, I use their starter kit for their. I think they call it the starter or sampler 
set or something for their sanding sticks. It's just a little grab bag full of all different grits and, and sizes, you know, cause you can, I don't know, they have so much variety. And uh, so you get kind of a little bit of everything in there and I've already found my favorites. I don't know what it's called. I have to go back to the website and see what the particular one I like is called, but it's a certain color. It's this green color. It's really perfect for uh, both the hard plastic, like the BF 110s. Uh, models from yeah, Warlord Games. Their, uh, their weathering and polishing sticks that are the green ones. Those those look pretty cool. Yeah, I want to get more of the skinny ones because you can get them in all the right places. Uh, the ones I have oh, are more hey, like... I, I, yeah. I don't need to know what places you put these skinny <laughs> sticks. <laughs> That's a good out of context. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've already found my favorites just from working with those. And uh, yeah, you know, that's, it's that's funny. like 13 bucks for this, this starter set. And you get you know a bunch of different kinds. The wide ones, I have no idea what they're all called. The you know, wire sticks, the, the skinnier sticks, and in, in all the different kinds, the blue, the black, the green, which all have different <laughs> grit to them. So I even used them on my metal models as I was prepping them and they work great for that too. So uh, I would recommend anybody, if you're interested in trying them, just get the, get that starter set and see what you like. And then that, that's kind of why I did it. I was like, well, let me try these out and see what I like. Cause I didn't know what to purchase. They have so many different, you know, Th- you know, so I got my hands on it. I didn't know what I was working with. Well, so I, got I can that. tell you just, just looking at it, I know that I want some of the blue uh, 220 grit ones just because that's what I normally use on a lot of my Warhammer stuff. But I'm always trying to fit in the corner of a, of a sanding sponge or something like that in there. Uh, and here, just having the stick is going to make it so much easier. Yeah, they're really nice. Yeah, so, so. I, I'll have to try some of those. I'm sure that'll be yet another way I can waste more money <laughs> in in this hobby addiction. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, and sure. If you're not careful, Black Weathering Wash sold out and Dark Dirt is listed as sold out on the website. So uh, right. if you haven't gotten them, uh, you may have to wait. So maybe we'll need to send the owner an email and find out when they're going to get some uh, some new Flory Wash in. Our, our listeners in the UK probably get it much easier than we do because I think that uh, those high altitude hobby guys are the sole distributor in the US. I could be wrong. I think they are. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it anywhere else in the US. I've been trying to. I've been trying to figure out where the heck I can get. It, so, well, Brett, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, it's always good to catch up. I can't wait till we get a chance to play some of this uh, airstrike stuff. Got to get you up here. And you know, one, one thing I'm looking forward to is uh, maybe in an upcoming episode soon we'll start to talk a bit more about what we plan with this. Uh, Malta campaign now that we're getting closer to uh, having uh, scenarios that go along with it. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll catch up across the gaming table instead of uh, just talking on the podcast. But until then, I'd like to encourage our listeners to run out, spend some time commenting, spend some time on uh, Blood Red Skies Ready Room talking about what we know about Airstrike. Uh, Once again, realize things are set in stone. It probably has gone to press. Uh, but the pre-orders are out there, and if you're excited to go pick one up, go ahead and pre-order today uh, from the few vendors that already have it. Uh, that way, you'll make sure you get your order in early, hopefully get it satisfied and not be uh, sitting around waiting for your package like I have on a couple occasions. 